episode 10 of the DNC podcast. We are back. Second episode of the week. It is Friday, TGIF. You know, I feel like during this pandemic, Friday has lost some of its value. Like people are selling their stock on Fridays like it doesn't matter anymore because during the course of this pandemic, large majority of the time, at least people have been working from home. And I feel like time's just kind of blended those days together. But let's not forget, like Friday is a great day. It's like that moment that this clock strikes 5 p.m. on a Friday. It's like already the weekend. Um, so I feel like people have been selling their stock, but I, I really believe that we need to buy stock on Friday again. Dust, how are we doing? I'm doing great, man. Yeah, for me, I think my favorite day of the week, I'm a big Wednesday guy. Halfway through the week, you know, especially You're a hump when you day get guy. big hump day guy. And you get through the week, and then in November, you have football on Thursday night, maybe a college football game Friday more college football Saturday and Sunday. So for me, once you hit Wednesday, I'm like, I got a good solid five days ahead of me. Um, and with everything opening up, I think Fridays, you know, are going to get a lot better than they have been for the past two or three months. Yeah. And this is a big episode for us. This is episode 10. And I know to the listeners that might not sound like a big deal, but it's it's our first milestone. So we're we're super excited that we've been able to um, provide you guys these content, this content for the last 10 episodes. It's been a lot of fun for both Dustin and I, and we're going to continue to bring you guys a jolting view on sports that you're not used to hearing. And we just thank you for being a part of the community and rating and reviewing and subscribing uh, to our pod and, and sharing it with family and friends. It, it does mean the world to us. Uh, before we get into the podcast, though, um, I wanted to just put out sort of a public service announcement and just say, you know, we hope everybody's staying safe during these times. And, you know, hopefully this podcast can just be some sort of a unplug from your day-to-day responsibilities as an adult, because we, we have them and um, they're important, but, but it's nice to be able to uh, unplug from that reality at times. So, um, but coming up on the podcast today, we're going to get into the, the new headlines that are coming out of USC in regards to Reggie Bush, as well as um, some more information about the NBA as the season uh, is starting to come back. Today, Woj reported that the season is going to be moved up a day early to July 30th instead of the 31st as a start date, which I know it's only one day dust, but I feel like we'll take we'll take as early of a start as they'll give us. Yeah, man, I'm excited. I mean, every every update we're getting at this point seems like it's like a positive update which for so long it was the complete opposite. So for me, I'm pumped, man. I mean, the fact that basketball is going to be back the 30th, high-level basketball when you're talking about the level of intensity. It's not like the preseason. It's not like, you know, normal basketball, October, November. They normally say for like the NBA, it doesn't really get good until December, right? You have that window where you're kind of getting ramped up. There's no ramp time. You got eight games, man. And so I'm super pumped for it. It's going to be interesting to see with some of the stuff coming out that Woj mentioned where it seems like some players may not want to make the trip um, to Disney because of all the things going on with that. But I'm excited, man. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, so one of those players uh, on Wednesday came out and said that they might not be playing or participating in this, and that's Carmelo Anthony from the Portland Trailblazers. And I know for me, Dust, that I, I take in the stance that I would fully understand if a player didn't want to come back and participate in this this new resume season due to a variety of different things. And if your team's not a competitive team, you know that you're not going to make a run at the finals other than maybe getting back out there and just playing the game that you love and getting into a rhythm again and trying to get back into basketball shape, maybe just showing yourself, hey, like, I still got it for a guy like Carmelo Anthony that is definitely on the latter part of his career. 
you know, going into next season can give him a, a boost of confidence. But again, I think if you're not a competitive team, is it really worth going back? Is it really worth risking having to stay there the entire time and watching these games um, for over the next couple of months until you can leave? And I, I just, I, I side with the players on that. I don't think it shows that their lack of desire to play, their desire to win, their desire to be a team player. I don't think it alludes to any of that. I truly believe that them making this decision is in the best interest of maybe their health for their family. And so I just fully understand that. Yeah. I, th- I think for me where I'm turning, where I'd probably say I like subtly disagree is I think you have to think of the team as an, as a whole aspect, right? So when you talk about, you know, the player themselves, I get that from that standpoint, but for me, I don't think a lot of this is health related. I think the NBA has been very strict with the mandated guidelines. I think it more has to do with the fact that it's a different lifestyle. These players have a lifestyle right. where, you know, they're playing a game, but um, J.R. Smith was famous for having a Sunday night game, but he was at the club till 3 a.m. when he was playing in New York, right? They, they have these lavish lifestyles. And then you look at the players like Carmelo Anthony where he has kids, he has a family. How does it impact them? Are you going to fly out your whole family? You're not going to see your family for two months? So I understand that aspect of it. But I also think about like you have guys on a team like a Damian Lillard and a CJ McCollum and all the other players on your roster it's not fair to them for you to not show up for whatever reason you're you're choosing for yourself. And then when you talk about competitiveness, like, yeah, there's going to be teams that you say like, hey, these are the clear cut favorites. But if Portland makes it as say like a seventh seed, right, where there's still there's still a chance for them to get in. Maybe they play a team like the Rockets and they get the better of them. And that actually could really change the outcome of potential Western Conference matchups and stuff like that. So I don't love it. I get it. I get that you have the choice. You're obviously not going to get paid. And so if you're saying, hey, you know, I don't want to do it for whatever reason, I just think to me it comes out somewhat selfishly as a teammate when you're basically saying, hey, I'm not going to go there and support the other guys that I've gone to battle with for the majority of the season. Now, would you say if Melo decided to just sit on the bench and support his team, would you still view him the same way? Or are you saying that he has to come back and play in order to show his loyalty to his teammates? I mean, when you're only averaging 15.3 points a game and 6.3 rebounds, I don't think they're going to care too much if he plays or if he's on the bench. But I mean, full thought, full like thought on it is, I think if you're a player and you have, say, like pre-existing conditions, right, and there's like a chance for you to, you know, possibly get sick and stuff like that, I get that. And I'm not going to tell any human being to put themselves in an unhealthy situation, but from everything I'm hearing, it seems like the majority of the people who are against coming back, it doesn't have really anything to do with the COVID outbreak. It has to do with either things that are going on socially and they want to be able to participate in their communities for right. different things like that. Or they just, to your point, they don't feel like they have a chance to maybe win a title. So they just want to throw in the bag. And to me, it's like I get feeling that way, but that's not fair to your teammates who maybe don't feel that way. Um and, I, and I, from a competitive standpoint, I don't love the idea where, hey, my odds aren't great of winning, so screw it. I'm just going to not play the rest of the year. Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things we respect about LeBron is that they asked him earlier this season about load management. And he said, if I'm healthy, I'm playing. And I think you have to respect that about guys that, especially when you're at the tail end of your career, you know that like time is not on your side any longer. So you have to play the games that you know you can play. And I just think but in this case, with a team that like Portland, who has really just not achieved 
to the level of expectation that everybody thought they would coming off a Western Conference Finals appearance, I look into the future. And this has kind of been a blessing for certain teams and certain players this year, like this this break in action, this delay in the season. For guys like Kevin Durant, we talked about last week. Like it's gonna, I think we're gearing up for an incredible season next year with guys being fully healthy and going into next season with a, a, a new perspective, new motivation, a new hunger to to win. And so, but you look at teams like the Clippers or the Lakers or the Rockets, it's like those teams are gonna be competitive. The Jazz, um, obviously in the East, you know, we're going with Boston and Philadelphia and Milwaukee and you know these teams want to win now like Giannis Giannis wants to win a ring now and so so from that standpoint like I said I think if you're on a more competitive roster a team that really can't compete for a championship you have to come back because you have to you have to take the chance to get that ring and so um, I just don't blame him for that especially being a guy that um you know, is at the tail end of his career and is older and the wear and tear on his body is much more substantial than when he was younger. But then I think of this though too, Dust, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but with him being out of the NBA for that length of time, like that stretch of time and now getting a chance to come back and be in the NBA, do you think that would impact the front office of the Portland Trailblazers to sign him next year if he doesn't come and be a part of the team? Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's probably back in Portland regardless. I think, like, he struggled to have a team sign him since his last stint, right, in Houston. And so, yeah, for me, I think it's interesting. I think it's some of the things we've talked about in previous podcasts is I think everyone sees professional athletes and we assume they just love playing sports. And I'm not saying Carmelo Anthony doesn't love playing basketball, but I think there's a lot of the lifestyle of being a professional basketball player that he also loves right and so when you look at this like if you love playing basketball more than anything and you have a chance to make the playoffs and make a run as a competitor you're going to be like yeah full steam ahead like we've mentioned about lebron and i think you see certain players in certain sports where it's not that they don't love the game and they don't love being competitive but it's like it's it's their job and they look at it as like hey this is my job this is my career i think from mellow standpoint it's like you know, this may be his last contract. I mean, the reality is there's there's right. teams that might not sign him next year. So when you're the only, you know, named guy to come out now, Woj said that there are about 40 to 50 players who at some level have some degree, degree of uncertainty um, with coming back. But I think the majority are going to play. And so from the thing that's really confusing to me is you got a, got a guy in Camella who basically said like, I kind of feel like the lead like blackballed me. I haven't been able to get a shot. Everyone thinks I'm an ISO player. I'm not a team player, blah, 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 blah. Portland finally gives you a shot. You play decently well. And then now you're going to kind of come out as this me guy. To me, I don't really get the, the reasoning behind it when from everything the NBA is saying, like they're going to be really strict health wise. And so it doesn't seem like you can realistically conclude that his, his fears have to do with like possibly getting sick. It more has to do with the fact that, hey, I don't want to be, you know, in Orlando for two months in a bubble, which which I get that, but you're you're on a team, man. So yeah, I, I think it would not only impact Portland signing him, but I think it would impact other contending teams signing him unless you have LeBron saying, Yo, sign my boy to a to a veteran minimum. Yeah, and context matters, right? So we don't know the true reason behind his motivation of what he said, but there's a reason, of course, as to why he's making that, you know, taking that stance. And it could be, I think you pointed something out that was really important is that he could be really interested in 
uh, putting his energy and efforts towards, um, you know, what's going on in the world right now. And so that, that would be totally understandable. Um, but shifting gears here, you know, in, in our world, we all know that brands matter. Like we all buy stuff based on a brand, whether that be Nike or Adidas or Gucci or Louis Vuitton, whatever it might be, we buy stuff based on brand. And when I look at USC as a brand, they have been largely irrelevant in college football for quite some time now. And the headlines that are leading the way today are Reggie Bush and USC are being able to reunite, reunite. And the 10-year disassociation is over from the NCAA and Reggie's going to be able to return to his alma mater. Um, what does what type of impact do you think Reggie Bush's return to USC is going to not only have on um, the overall brand of USC for college football and then for the impact on the players that they recruit? Yeah, I think... I think you can make a case, at least in my lifetime, and I'm 28 years old, that Reggie Bush has had a bigger impact on any college team than any player over the last 25 year span. No doubt. And I can think of I can think of a lot of players who were impact players, but the impact they had on their university as a whole, I don't think is anywhere comparable. I mean, you can look at the success under USC during the time that Reggie Bush was there. And I actually give a lot more credit to Pete Carroll. You look at the fact that he was 97 and 19 over that nine year span. And actually 30% of his losses came in his first year coaching when they went six and six. So in my opinion, he had the biggest impact, but you don't see USC and think Pete Carroll, you see USC and you think Reggie Bush. I mean, I put my zip code on my eye paint when I played high school football because that's what Reggie did, the 619. He was flexing for San Diego. And so, you know, he was one of the first guys to wear the one sleeve. He brought swagger. There's guys I've watched football for. Like, I've turned on a football game for Johnny Menzel. I turned on a football game for Cam Newton, Tim Tebow. But those are all quarterbacks. Like, a lot of people watch football games for quarterbacks. There's not many people that turn on a game for a running back. And it didn't matter if you were a Texas fan, a UCLA fan, a Florida State fan. When USC was playing and Reggie Bush was on the field, you watched that game. You changed your plans. That that was the show, no matter where you were located nationally. From a national standpoint, you watched USC football. Yeah, and and just to backtrack a little bit um, on what happened. So if you aren't familiar, but... Uh, basically, Reggie Bush's family received cash compensations for, um, you know, basically free rent for a year and some money to furnish the home for his parents and um, and ended up getting a 10 year ban as from the university. And USC actually received some pretty heavy sanctions as well, um, which they were not allowed to uh participate in a bowl for four years. Um, they took away Reggie's Heisman. They also took away their uh, their wins during the 2005 season, which they ended up playing in the national championship against uh, the University of Texas. We all remember that game against uh, Vince Young and the Longhorns. But um, anyway, Dustin, you made some great points because he was somebody that I, I played quarterback and I, I didn't I didn't look at Reggie Bush as, well, I can't I can't be a fan of this because he doesn't play the position that I play. He was so electric as a college football player. It didn't even matter that he played running back. I just, I, it was must see TV. I had to watch 
USC play on Saturdays because of him. There was other great players on that team. Matt Leiner, Lendale White, Dwayne Jarrett. Uh, the list goes on. I mean, they're on both sides of the ball. At one point, they were putting more guys in the NFL than any other university. And so, but I watched because I wanted to watch Reggie Bush. I mean, he he was in, this was during a time dust, if you remember, um, which most people don't even think of it now because we have two teams in LA, but this was before there was an NFL team in Los Angeles. So they were essentially the pro team. And what's funny, I don't know if you remember these conversations that were happening on sports talk shows, but a lot of people were saying that they, that USC Trojans team during his tenure, at least 2004, 2005, that they could beat an NFL team. Like at that time, the Texans and Lions were at the bottom half of the NFL and people were saying they could beat those teams. And so I just remember the impact he had on not just USC, but the city of Los Angeles. And just thinking of now the US now that the NCAA is passing a rule where where players are going to get compensated for their likeness and their image and i just think could you imagine if reggie during his time at usc could have been compensated for his likeness i mean what type of what type of impact do you think he would have had from that standpoint no i was actually reading an article um, about different quarterbacks in college football and they were going strictly off of their social media presence. And so Sam Ellinger, the quarterback at Texas, right? They were saying based upon his social media following um, and the amount of posts he could post, he could approximately make $800,000 next year. And this is a guy that unless, you know, you're doing a quarterback mock draft for 2021 or you're a Texas Longhorns fan, there's a lot of the nation that doesn't even know about this guy. Exactly. And he could have racked up a million dollars just because he's a starting quarterback at you know, a perennial top program in the United States. Right. You think of you, you think of Reggie Bush, the face of college football in LA swag, everything electric, put seats in the butt. I mean, I'm talking five, 10 mil easy. I mean, he could have endorsements. It would have been absolutely crazy. I think you look at different athletes and you can look at different people in different industries and say, Man, if my my thing just would have happened at this year and at this time, the difference impacts they could have had, it would have been crazy. I mean, you think of it with like Tebow, Menzel, Newton, all those guys would have been great, but Reggie just would have been on like a whole other playing field. I mean, Matt Liner, you know, went to the Cardinals, didn't it didn't work out, right? Lindo White went to the Titans, didn't do much. Reggie Bush, like even when you look into the stats, and we'll get into it later. His numbers really aren't that bad. I think people thought so much of him before he went to the NFL, and people are like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to get 2,000 yards every year. You know what I mean? The expectations were so high, but I look at some of his numbers, and I'm like, he actually didn't have a bad NFL career. It was just Reggie was such a big name that we thought this could possibly be the best running back since O.J. Simpson. You know? Yeah, and, and he did mean a ton to that program overall because – of what he what he was able to do from a running back position in college football because like you mentioned the majority of Heisman trophy winners are quarterbacks and so if you can win a Heisman as a running back you're incredibly talented and gifted and you're relevant and so during that time he was playing against peak talent i mean the at that time it was the Pac-10 not the Pac-12 and um and so i think when you look at the generation of football that was being played and how people viewed 
certain positions, the running back position was viewed way differently then than it is today. And I truly believe that he paved the way for guys like Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey and, and Zeke because this 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 complete running back of being able to catch the ball, run the ball, uh, block, he could do all of those things. And running backs weren't necessarily graded on that as highly as they are today. I mean, if you're not, if, if you can't impact the game from the running back position, catching the ball out of the backfield, you're really not going to be a hot commodity um, because of the lifespan of an NFL running back. And so he was so ahead of its t- his time. And I know people would say, hey, what about Marshall Falk or Roger Craig? And yeah, but but Reggie was an elite runner. He wasn't an athlete that was playing running back. He was an elite runner and he was an elite pass catcher and a blocker and a punt and kick returner. I mean, he literally did it all. And coming from not just my mouth, but Pete Carroll, when they recruited him, said that he was going to be a five-way player. Like they're going to, they're, they're going to do, or a five-level player, he's going to do everything. And so um, I just think that when we look back on it, it's hard to even quantify how important he was, not just to USC, but to the game of college football and for the guys that came after him that are now in the NFL. No, I completely agree. I think you look at things and it's easy to make excuses or say, oh, well, his scenario was actually better than it really was. Like you think of where he got drafted, right? So he gets drafted to the Sean Payton, who we look at. And when we think about Sean Payton, we think, oh, like this masterful creative genius. And although I think he's a really good coordinator, even the way he runs his offense now is very different than he ran it back when they drafted Reggie. And I think the biggest change and what would have led to some of Reggie's success is I think he would be really, really good in a lot more of these zone read type systems because a lot of smaller running backs, the power eye formation, it 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 blocks some of their vision, right? So I don't think Reggie Bush couldn't run, can't run through the middle. He's a big guy. He's strong. We've seen Christian McCaffrey, um, Kamara. They can run through it. But when you're set up more in that zone read system, it gives you the ability to be shifty and see the defense setting up ahead of you. And then you can hit the hole and take off. Because when you look at Reggie's numbers, I mean, let's look at his first year in the, in the league, right? 500 rushing yards, 700 receiving yards. It's basically identical to Christian McCaffrey, right? You look at Alvin Kamara, basically identical numbers. And then I think part of the lack of the blow up from Reggie is the Saints kind of gave up after him after a year or two. I think they thought he's going to hit the ground running year one and he's going to rush for 1,200 yards. And then he didn't. And then the next year it was kind of similar, you know, 500 on the ground, 500 through the air. And then they almost like made him a gadget player instead of saying like, hey, how can we adjust our offense around one player? I think one of the things the Panthers did so well is as Cam continued to get injured, instead of saying, hey, this we're going to run this offense through Cam, they said, hey, who's our best player? Let's run it through him. And I think the Saints have done a really good job shaping their offense around Drew Brees. But I think because it was so focused on, hey, what does Drew do well? It limited, hey, what can we do with Reggie? We have this generational talent. I think that's one of the I think that's one of the biggest failures of Sean Payton's career. I think he's been a good coach, but I think having a talent like that and not turning that into two or three Super Bowls, I think even he would look back on it now and see what he's done with Kamara and see how McCaffrey's impacting the game and say, man, if I could do it over again, Reggie would be an absolute monster. Yeah, he was. I mean, like you mentioned, if you look at his numbers early on in his career, they're very similar to Christian McCaffrey's and Alvin Kamara's first couple years in the league. But like you mentioned so so eloquently is that it 
these these offensive coordinators, these head coaches, Sean Payton, uh, Ron Rivera, you know, these guys built these offenses to cater to these guys' talents. And I don't feel like Sean was still early on in his coaching career and still finding his way and finding his brand of doing in the way of doing things. And so I believe if you swap positions and you put Kamara, you know, when he came, when Reggie came to the league and then you put Reggie in, in today's NFL, I mean, Reggie's going to be one of the top players in the NFL and just, he is an all world talent. If you look at his numbers, just and not, and not looking at the context of that, you could say, well, he, he really underachieved for being the second overall pick in the draft and being a Heisman trophy winner and being one of college football's greatest players ever. But if you actually look at the games and you look at the film, you realize how elite of a talent this guy was. Um, and he didn't, and again, context matters in, 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 uh, in relation to the amount of touches he had. He, he only had 155 rushes, uh, attempts his, his rookie year and he had 121 targets and 88 receptions. So again, they balanced him out fairly well with, with rushing and, and receiving. And I thought that was great, but they didn't really build on that. Like you mentioned, they kind of abandoned that um, and looked at him more as a gadget player rather than an actual focal point of their offense. But I think he could have been so lethal in this league. And it's sad that, um, you know, we talk about fit all the time. You mentioned this in pre-show that the rest of his career, I mean, if, if you look at him going to Miami, going going to, you had a, a brief stop in San Francisco, but he goes to Detroit and then he goes to Buffalo. Um, it's really all of those teams. I mean, look at Detroit. They've been bad for a really long time. Miami's been bad for a really long time. You know, San Francisco has kind of been up and down over the last decade. And then Buffalo, other than the last couple of years, has really been one of the bottom teams in the NFL. So um, fit-wise and schematic-wise, I think his best chance was in New Orleans, but I think it was still too early on in Sean's career. Yeah, no, I think the funny thing when I look at it is like, you can't just look at how many yards a guy rushes for. You have to look at like how many carries he got. Because like McCaffrey this year, all world year, like arguably one of the best years for a running back in the past 15, 20 years. Guys was a monster, but he did have 287 carries and he did catch 116 balls. When you look at Reggie, his highest year ever carry wise, um, you look at Miami and Detroit right around the same time, he's at 227. So he's still getting about 50 less carries and he's still going over a thousand yards. Right. And he was always an athlete catching the ball. And so I think now coaches do a really good job just getting the ball in playmakers' hands, where I feel like although there was really good coaches who had really good schemes, it was more about the scheme than the actual player. I think coaches were too afraid to be one player dependent because right. of injuries, maybe ego at times and different things like that. But I just think if you have a guy like that and you have a mind like a Kyle Shanahan or a Sean McVay, I have to think like you do something like, I think Gurley's a good running back. And I think before Gurley's injury, I think Gurley was a good running back. Right. But I think a lot of that was Sean McVay saying, hey, this is what Gurley does really well. Gurley's a really good runner if we can get him to the edge. If we get him to the edge, we throw him screens, that's where he's at his best. He's not a good A-gap runner, right? Where Sean, a lot of times he just told Reggie, hey, take a dive up the middle. That's not using Reggie to the best of his ability. Right. The way they use Kamara now, Reggie's getting 2,000 yards a year. Like, easy. <laughs> easy. You yeah. know? Yeah, and and it's and that's the travesty is we'll never know we'll never have gotten the chance to watch him in a system with Sean Payton that was mature because like I said this was early on in Sean Payton's coaching coaching career and um and he was still trying to find his way so uh but 
ultimately, what type of impact do you think, you know, he ha- will have on, um, do you think USC will be able to use this as sort of a weapon in their recruiting process? Do you think, you know, because we've watched USC games in the past with Snoop Dogg on the sidelines and Will Ferrell on the sidelines and, you know, other, other USC greats, Marcus Allen, Ronnie Lott, these guys are on the sidelines. Do you feel like they're going to use that as kind of a recruiting tool to get USC back up to the top and be a relevant team in college football? Yeah, I mean, I think this is probably one of the best things that's happened to USC in the past five years. I think USC is very known for being a program where they like to hire within. And what I mean by that is, especially with head coaches, they like to hire people that are associated with the program. So people that were either on some level of the staff, people that played there, but they have that brand, they have that family. Just USC in general, they're known as an organization that is kind of close-knit like a family. And so I think for them, anything that can bring people back to that heyday and just getting you know him on that campus, especially with now having teams in LA, right? You have the Rams in LA who are an exciting team to watch. You have the Chargers who are an exciting team to watch. And so you have more you know rivals for viewerships, right? And technically like, USC is not the best team in the Pac-12. They're not. You got Oregon, who's better than them. Stanford's been down over the past two years, but there was a, a you know a time where they were doing better than them. So for me, it's like you have a great opportunity to really capture that audience and getting Reggie back into the the fold of it. I think it's great for the program because the fact that they've been able to stay relevant for the past ten years with not really much success on the field, besides being a mediocre football team to watch. People are watching USC football now because of what Reggie Bush made them. Absolutely. So we've been absent with this segment the last few weeks, but DC Inbox is back. And I think you're going to love this one. Um, This is from Andrew Harmon, uh, 22 is his username handle. And um, he asked us to list our top five sports movies of all time. So Dust, this isn't going to be about what society would deem the top five movies of all time but what our personal favorites are um so i'll kick us off my number one is remember the titans i just this this was a movie i grew up with um this was a movie that really inspired me initially to play football um to play college or to play high school football and play it at a high level and uh just just the mixture of um you know the story the plot the message that it sends along with the fact that it's such a great football movie. Like there's great sports movies that don't focus a ton on the actual sport, but it's a great story. And I think it has a combination of both. Yeah. I appreciate the caveat you threw in there. Cause I think most of the people will be able to relate with like three of my movies, but there's two in there that, that people are going to have some laughs with. But my number one is miracle. Um, just because I grew up playing hockey. So right, growing yeah. up playing hockey in Southern California, no one cares. Like when I mean no one, I mean like your parents it's, care because they want to come watch you play. But besides that, nobody cares, right? And so for it's me, it's the truth. Yeah, it's it's the one cool thing about hockey that I got actually got to watch growing up. Besides like the Mighty Duck movies, which I honestly probably should have put them on there as well. But yeah, Miracle, obviously like the story behind it. I'm also like a big history guy, and so the history behind it, I thought it was I thought it was really cool. So that 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 would be my number one movie. Yeah, the Mighty Ducks movies, I almost put them on here, but I was like, ah, they're, they're so, that's what's tough about this, to be honest. It's really a great question. So thank you, Andrew. But um, 
it's such a tough list because there are so many great sports movies and to really to to minimize it to five it was so difficult for me because the D, the, the mighty ducks movies were some of my all-time favorite movies growing up as a kid but um they're more like kid movies they're not there's not like a super deep message in there uh they're just entertaining for kids yeah, I think when you look at the sports movie, they almost have to be like categorical, right? Because there's like there's different types of sports movies, right? You have like the the more of like the documentary type, which is like the miracle, the ones based off of like, you know, current events. And you have like the Jerry Maguire ones, right? Where like you have sports in the mix, but it's more of like a drama and you like the movie, but there's some sports related stuff to it. And then you have the ones you grew up on as a kid, whether it was Space Jam or Mighty Ducks and different stuff like that. So who who do you have coming in at number two on your list? So you just said it. So Space Jam is my number two. And the reason why is I just, it was, it's such an iconic movie. Um, during that time, of course, MJ was the biggest thing on the planet from a, from an athlete standpoint. And I probably watched this movie multiple times a week at the minimum. Um, and I just think of it more as such an impact on my childhood. That's why I think it's top five is because of what it represented to me as a young boy. And um, and really my aspirations to be a professional athlete. And then you combine that with cartoons. I mean, it was truly, it's going to be interesting to see the sequel. It's a movie. I don't believe they should have ever made a sequel to, and I'm not taking a shot or throwing shade at LeBron, but space jam is one of those movies in my opinion that should have, it got made and it should never be touched. There's so many movies. That's such a long list. Like pretty much every time Disney makes a sequel, and I know this is DreamWorks, but it's like it's an absolute disaster. But it's like if you want to make a movie for LeBron, you can think of a movie to do. But as soon as you do that Space Jam 2, it's like a losing battle. So they're number three on my list. Number two on my list was your number one, Remember the Titans. I think when you look at that, it's just such a great movie on so many levels. It really brings people together. There's probably more quotes from that movie used in the business realm than almost any other movie. The messaging behind it's awesome. So yeah, I have Miracle for one, Remember the Titans for two, and then Space Jam for three on mine. Just like you, Space Jam was a movie I just I grew up loving. It was like what you watched when you were a kid. You got MJ, you got Looney Tunes. I mean, what more could someone from 7 to 12 want to watch on, on a, any day of the week? Exactly. And you hit the nail on the head. Like it is a lose, lose battle for LeBron. Like this whole, this whole debate between who is the goat. I don't feel like you made it any easier on yourself by now making a movie that is the sequel to the person you're trying to surpass in the goat conversation from a basketball standpoint. And so the fact that to me, it's like, you're, you're trying to copy what MJ did, but at the same time, you're trying to separate yourself from him, but you're second. He was first. So I just don't understand the thought process behind that. I know that he's just wanting to make money, which I get that. And it will probably make a ton of money, but I just, I've had this conversation with you. I, I really hope they don't tarnish the original space jam because I really think this is going to be pretty bad in my opinion. Um, I'm, it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go with on this one. But, uh, it's still an all time for the for me, but but you're right. I, I don't know why LeBron went in that direction of making a movie um, that is a sequel to the person he's trying to surpass from a basketball standpoint. But it, nonetheless, uh, so my number three. I know you gave me your three. My number three is the the Rocky movies. So I couldn't just pick one. Like I said, boiling this down to five is so difficult. But I put the Rocky movies um, just simply because 
Eye of the Tiger. I mean, who who doesn't love that song? I mean, as an athlete growing up, like that song was played over and over pregame for just about every sport. So that movie had such a cultural impact. Um, and I just, I love, I love underdog stories. I think that's one of the things that drew me to that is I love when somebody's counted out when the odds are against him and, and he prevailed. And so, uh, I'm sorry I couldn't pick just a specific Rocky movie, but the Rocky series to me is, is top five all time. Are you sure the real reason for that isn't your deep love for the city, the city, the the city of Philadelphia, and all the Eagles fans out there? It's not, and so because I am a, a Cowboys fan, we we went to Philly a couple years back. We and it was a lay, it was actually a layover. I, I didn't actually plan vacation to Philadelphia. I would never do that. Um, but it was a, we had a layover, and we were in Philly for about eight or nine hours, and we ended up going to the Rocky Steps, and we saw the statue. And that was about the only positive experience I had in Philadelphia, to be honest. So um, I don't foresee myself going back. But if I did, it would only be for the Rocky statue because I can't stand the city of Philadelphia. So my number four movie is Moneyball, uh, based upon the Oakland A's. For me, it kind of goes back to the same thing with like Miracle, the history of it. I think any time that you can change the way sports can be done and you're innovative, to me, that just captures me instantly. Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I thought Moneyball was a great movie. Um, so that was number four on my list. Yeah. Moneyball's phenomenal. Just another underdog story. I mean, the Oakland A's being just one of the smallest market marketed teams to have the success that they've had solely because of Billy Bean. And, um, that is such a great movie. They almost made my list. Like I said, this is so hard. It's like, I can't, I feel like making this list, I was leaving movies out that, I want to put on this list and I feel like by not putting them on this list, I'm not giving them the recognition they deserve. But nonetheless, my, my number five is Jerry Maguire. You mentioned it earlier. This is probably, this is what this falls into a category of not being so much of a, a much of a sports movie, but, um, but just being a feel good story. Again, another underdog story, comedy, um, with sports kind of sprinkled in there. And it's funny enough. It's what got me thinking about, if I didn't become a professional athlete, which I didn't become, um, was to become a sports agent. And like, I just thought that would have been the coolest job, like to be able to manage other athletes and help them sign contracts and endorsement deals. And I just thought that life would be so fun. And, um, because it's all about showing you the money. Yeah, that's a great one. I think there's a case you could make for that being like a top five movie all time. Like when you talk about movies, 100% anyone will watch whether you like you know sports or not um talk about brands um you know i think that's a great one so my number five and this may get some chuckles from a number of viewers and this goes back to i watched this movie so much with my little brothers growing up i had to throw it on the list and that is bench warmers have you ever seen that movie bench warmers is a great movie it's like one of those, yeah, it's one of those stupid comedies where like if you're having a bad day and you just need to laugh, throw it's that like on for two hours. Yeah, and it's just going to it's gonna make your day so much better. Um, so I, I had to throw bench warmers on there. I really wanted to put the Mighty Ducks on there, but um, <laughs> I, I, had, I had to have bench warmers make the list. The bench warmers movie is, it's like, it's one of those guilty pleasures or like just one of those mindless movies that you put on. It's like, you're, you just want to laugh. Like you said, it's like, it's not even about, the storyline, it's not even about whether or not it, it's a good sports movie. It's just, it's one of those mindless movies you can turn on and it's so hilarious. 
Uh, What happened to movies like that? Like you remember, like I said, dodgeball, bench warmers, these types of movies, like where did we miss that along the way? Like there's, there aren't any movies that come out like that anymore. Have you noticed that? Yeah, I know. Movies now, like, it's just different. I mean, I, I don't watch movies as much as I used to. And so maybe they're coming out and I just don't see them. I think part of it is like, I think there's less budget behind movies now because so much gets streamed, right? Where you have stuff on Netflix, you have stuff on Hulu and you can kind of just do it on there and you don't have to worry about like the big screen um, idea. So I don't know if it's streaming's ruining the world, but if they could make a few more good comedies like that, I definitely would appreciate it. All right, before we, before we wrap things up, give me, give me your one bubble pick for the top five. So that didn't make your top five, but, but you, they're right on the bubble. It would have to be the Mighty Duck movies. Like talking about playing hockey growing up, those movies were like, there was a few things I watched growing up. It was like the Mighty Ducks movies, huge rocket power guy. Now we could do a whole other spinoff on sports, but a a sport where they actually like skateboarded and played hockey. Like I'm, I'm waking up at seven o'clock because on the West Coast, they only play that at seven o'clock because nobody cared about it. That's true. But that was that was the one I had to watch. So yeah, I would definitely say my bubble pick would be the Mighty Ducks. How about you? So my bubble is they they. This was one of them where I'm like, man, I really had a hard time not putting them on the top five because it was a movie like Space Jam that I watched religiously. But the Sandlot. The Sandlot was like, I feel like it was so impactful for like young, young boys. Not even just, even if you didn't play baseball, like you talk about quotes from a movie. I mean, there's stuff still in culture today that people say because of that movie. Um, But again, I think, I think I was struggling with, do I pick a movie that was geared more towards adults or do I pick movies that were really geared more towards the younger demographic? But um they they're like to me they're like a 5b or a 5a and uh it was tough for me not to but there's so many movies i mean the natural the rookie happy gilmore white man can't jump caddyshack the major league movies um i mean the list truly goes on uh friday night lights rudy i mean the oh, blind Gr- side. gridiron gang that was a gridiron gang was, that a was a great good, movie that was a good movie that was before the rock like was super big as an actor um, and he was kind of taking some of those like B plus movies, and like like, ga- like game day, game game plan, <laughs> game plan was it game, game, plan, plan? game plan game plan the Disney where, one where he's a di- professional quarterback yeah, yeah. yes yes uh, the invincible the longest yard I mean these are all movies where I'm like man I can't I can't minimize this to five there's too many great sport any given Sunday you met Al Pacino um, so there's just so many to choose from. Uh, so don't judge us for leaving any other movie out that we did. It's not that we don't love it. We just, it's tough to narrow it down to five, but we did our best. Um, but we just thank you guys for tuning in for this Friday episode. We hope you guys have a great weekend. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe our, to our podcast. It really helps us. We do appreciate the support. Uh, follow us and reach out to us on social media at the Dustin and Cole podcast. You know, feel free to drop in our messages and, and inbox and DMs to share questions or topics you would like us to cover. Um, again, we want to make this a show that gives our community and following the voice. Um, if you do share something with us, we will share it on the show. Uh, but again, thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend and we'll see you guys Monday.